Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of the Marvel New Universe podcast. I'm Stephen. And Andy. And today we'll be going over Kickers, Inc. and uh, Mark Hazard Merck, number ones of each of those. And I'll kick it off. Nice. That was Andy's joke. Oh, I didn't write that joke for you. We've got a team team behind me now. Um, kick it off with Kickers, Inc., number one, which was on the stands uh, July 29th, 1986, um, cover dated November 1986. And there's kind of two titles for this because um, on the cover, it says Birth of a Hero, but on the inside, it says This Legend Born. Those are pretty good, I guess. They could they had go either. Ideas they wanted to use both. Someone got yelled at after that came out. I thought you were going to correct this. No, I thought you were going to. Um. So it is by um, Tom DeFalco, writer, Ron Friends, penciler, Sal Bushima, inker, and edited by Michael Higgins. And was it created by, yes, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends? So DeFalco, as we mentioned, is sort of the more um, did uh, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters already that we covered. So and uh, Friends is a uh, guy who's been been at Marvel a long time at this point. He's a poor man's Jack Kirby. Let's just call it what it is. Um, but the uh, getting right into the issue, you have a nice splash page with the title, as I mentioned, This Legend Born, and the kickers in these um, sort of jumpsuit uniforms running towards you, which is uh, a little more action y than the cover, which is um, full of uh, Kirby crackle, they call it, that sort of ink spotting to show like energy is being released from uh, the main character he looks like he's being electrocuted and all the other kickers are shocked and dismayed so jumping into the story on page two we have a uh, football game going on time is running out for the new york smashers nice not the kickers as i originally thought in my memory <laughs> no, the smashers be... nobody likes the kickers the kickers were the Superhero team, not the football team. Um, the Smashers are down four points in the 14 seconds to go, playing against the Visitors. Let's call the them Wildcats. I mean, I, I was a little disappointed they didn't uh, start making up other team names right away, like each you know, a city would have its own you know, team that's specific to the Marvel uni new universe. Yeah. I don't know. Where's the Steelers, right? Yeah, they, they hit that soon enough. So uh, let's see. The quarterback of the New York Smashers is Jack Magnaconte. And he gets knocked. Uh, well, let's see. No, he... There's a pass to Dasher Corbin. Dasher is tackled. 
they uh, then run a play where Jack is um, blitzed and he fumbles to stop the clock. Now they've only got a couple seconds left and everyone's expecting a pass. So we run. That's the kind of craziness you can come to expect from the smashers. It's a chess game. <laughs> it's, the, it's the mental game. That's really where the game is won. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he does a handoff to suicide and suicide Smythe seems to jump over several people and make it into the end zone for a touchdown. Yay. The smashers won. So in the, the cut to the locker room where there's a um, bit of hijinks going on, the uh, guys on the team are kind of uh, snapping the towel with each other. Um, let's see. There's what, what is this? Yeah, it starts to introduce their personalities a bit. Yeah, a little easier than they do their, their names. Let's see. Dasher is the dashing guy. Let's try to use that as a mnemonic. Yeah. He's kind of a Billy D. Williams-looking guy, dresses nicely, um, seems to use perfume or something. So he throws some soap to trip up Suicide, who's kind of a show-off, who's uh, grandstanding with some gymnastics or something. Suicide Smythe. And then uh, the peacemaker, or at least the voice of authority, is a guy named Brick Wall. Um, so Brick talks to Jack Magnaconte again, and he does a thing where he sort of has a southern accent for a second. <laughs> and then um, they they're discussing some backstory. And uh, suddenly, Brick starts talking like he has an MBA. And, you know, Brick, it's funny how you lose your corny down-home accent whenever you start discussing financial matters. And then Beauford Kimball Wool, class of 82, at your service. At your service. And I think even in one of the panels, he's holding like a Wall Street Journal, like right after the game, he needs to see. <laughs> he needs to see it. Yeah, it's not he's that he's going uh, like a racing form that he's going gambling. That's another guy. So <laughs> they go outside and the they are basically all picked up by groupies. <laughs> yeah, looks like it. And a couple of them are complaining that the quarterback took off, and they they say, "Oh, that's his wife." Okay, so Jack and Darlene Magnaconte get a car and are driving around and are talking about. Jack's brother, Steve, uh, older brother who took care of him. Um, he was uh, gambling, used to have a gambling problem. Uh, was, Jack says it's just, it was just a way for him to keep active in sports after he ruined his knee. You're just rationalizing. Anyway. <laughs> gambling in science lab. That's a great way to... <laughs> So they go to, yeah, his science lab. He's, now he owns a company that does um, sports, sports nutrition and plus. Yeah. training. Sports Power Plus. Plus is a little hard to see on that. Yeah, the plus is probably like bathroom and toiletry goods. <laughs> 
So uh, they walk into the lab where Steve's there. Steve is in a lab coat, so you can tell he's a scientist. And he's also still in um, with the, what do you want to call it? You know, like his crutch? His crutch, yeah. Like he just got injured five minutes ago. Um, he, I mean, they say he got injured in college or something. And usually those things just like slow you down so much that you can't play professional sports. They're not like, I'm completely lame and unable to walk now. Right. right. This may be more of a Joe Theismann knee flying around. It's kind of injury maybe. <laughs> but they, you know, it's visual storytelling. I don't know. So Steve shows them into his main laboratory where everyone looks at a thing that's kind of off screen. And what, what is it? Uh, I don't know what to call it. Maybe the intensifier? It seems a little ten uh, tentative with it. Yes. And what's it do? Well, I hope it can artificially stimulate increase in muscle mass. So he's talking about something that could over the long term, slowly, weeks of exposure to this thing, right. give you a slight you. edge. <laughs> so that's the plan. And Jack is intrigued and Darlene's a little off put by it. And uh, he tells them, you know, come back tomorrow and we'll try it if, if you want to. Darlene and Jack go off to Central Park. I guess they're, as you will, if you live in, around New York anywhere, I guess. And uh, stroll around talking about it. And, you know, it's, is it more dangerous than steroids? Is there, you know, but Jack's determined. He's like, I'll do anything for an edge like that. Yeah, a lot of close-ups on his very serious looking eyes. Yeah, that like these couple of pages that's a very Kirby face you know what I mean you'd see like Reed Richards looking at the negative zone with that kind of expression all the time and uh, so uh, the at this point we get our first visual of the actual white event and um, it looks a lot like um, the crisis on infinite earths and yeah. possibly New York being blown up by a nuke in Watchmen. Everything is just sort of fading to white as they walk down the street. And it's a total whiteout. And let's see, exposed to a bizarre manifestation as the entire continent and the rest of the world is suddenly blanketed by a strange, dazzling light. So Jack uh, seems to like collapse or feel dizzy. His wife's worried about him, but they don't really think anything of it. Ever, the world seems to be going on as, as normal. And so they go home and the next morning they're back at this laboratory. Jack's all hooked up to the machine and ready to be very slightly activated. Yes. Well, Steve, as the intensifier hums into life, oh, my body feels so strange. <laughs> everything's starting to spin ah so that we get that basically the cover image except none of the other people are around where the kirby crackle is everywhere there's it's cosmic energy as you would see in a regular uh, marvel comic from a few years before this his wife and brother are very worried something's wrong turn off the machine 
I don't understand. This isn't what should have happened. It's just supposed to buzz. <laughs> I like that part because it makes me think he was just scamming him the whole time. <laughs> it's, it kind of leaves that in the air that like, uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> I meant to do that. Uh, so he, uh, his hair has turned white and his physique is maybe larger than it was before. It's a little hard to tell. Um, so he's pretty in shape guy, so. like swollen up, but it is hard to tell. Yeah, it's not like going from skinny, you know, Steve Rogers to Captain America in two minutes. But um, so then they just cut to the next scene. Next morning in Central Park, he's out for a jog, and some kids in a car like splash him, and he chases them in the car, going forty miles an hour. They said tears off a bumper and suddenly, hey, how'd I do that? They back to the lab um, and Steve isn't really much help. I can't even begin to explain what happened to you. Is instead Steve of slowly- scientist. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, Jack, I need some funding. It may take at least six months, maybe a year before we'll get any answers about <laughs> what happened. So let's hope my R01 gets funded. Uh, so my machine has apparently multiplied your strength and speed overnight. I don't know why. <laughs> don't sweat it, bro. Yeah. Okay. Well, everyone's in good mood. We see the first of uh, Steve lifting or Jack lifting boxes. He lifts uh, a lot of boxes when he's talking to people now. Um, maybe a anyway, probably larger than him, but it, you know. So. Um, Jack takes off and Steve's still wondering what happened. Then he gets a phone call. How's it going, Steve Arino? Very <laughs> jokey way to call someone who turns out to be your loan shark. Yeah. Um, the gambling dude is uh, telling him he owes him a bunch of money. And uh, gambling guy, Mr. Sloan, tells his assistant that, you know, he's got a, by hooking his, getting uh, Steve hooked he'll get the quarterback hooked too so he'll be able to control the game at some point um you go back to jack he's pretty happy his wife's a little concerned and then right away the next sunday on not even practice a, a full game i guess jack throws a pass a dasher and hits him so hard that it breaks his ribs whoops it never even occurred to me something like that could happen. No. Well, he's a football player. He's not that bright. <laughs> Nobody bets an eye, though. Like, you know, Dasher's happy. He's like, yeah. Yeah, everyone, no one's, yeah, <laughs> like, crazy. Use and, you know, nobody really wonders how it's even possible for someone to throw that hard. It's, uh, let's see. He, he says they managed, they win the game. Oh, and he's just going to be out for maybe a week or two. So um, he's trying to charm the nurses and the other guys try uh, muffling him with some pillows. Um, it's a bit like that Seinfeld episode, I guess. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, so the secondary characters on the team are all, I think, African-American but they're all slightly different uh, skin tones in the uh, coloring that we get here. Um, it's kind of a 
lighter, darker, and a gray or purple. I don't know. Coloring really, you know, wasn't great for for uh, most uh, human skin tones back then. So, no, definitely some mistakes in there too. So, so after uh, we get out, um, there's more hijinks outside. Um, Rick notices that uh, Jack is um, has his mind on something, but they don't talk about it. Um, over at Sports Power Plus, Steve is trying to make other people uh, use the intensifier and doesn't really seem to do anything for them. Uh, so then we cut to another game. Smash, uh, re regular season's ending, Smashers finish first in their division. Coasting past Miami, they are forced to battle Pittsburgh for the conference championship. And here, here's the thing where I got to say they really miss a point of having Ken Connell in the stands right. or having like the Pittsburgh, you know, pirate stealers or something and him wearing a shirt for that or something, you know, some way to tie things together because in early Marvel universe, that was part of the thing, like the fantastic floor four would fly over a street and you'd see Peter Parker, like moping about yeah. down, down in the crowd, like, Oh, I got to go do this and then stop the Dr. Octopus. And anyway, Ms. those little things where you tie things together are always neat. So anyway, the Smashers win over Pittsburgh. Jerks. Um, and are headed to the Super Bowl. And every, everyone's pretty psyched except for Jack. And the, they start, what's with him? I don't know, man. He seemed distracted. This was a championship game. High point of his career. The guy sleepwalked through it like he was bored out of his mind. Yeah. A lot of irony there. So Mr. Sloan is still threatening Steve. Um, then the next time Jack is working out with Steve, he, uh, he's, he tries to sort of bring it up. He's like, oh, I hear you're favored to win by quite a margin. <laughs> Why are you interested in the point spread? Are you gambling again? Jack's all over it. Uh, no, 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 of course not, says Steve. So then Jack wants to know if he can reverse the intensifier. He starts to feel that it's too much, that it's basically cheating. You know, it's no fun to be playing something if he's 10 times stronger than everyone else. He has a, this conversation with Darlene that night. Everything's turning sour, everything. He knows there's something wrong with Steve. He's worried about the smashers. And he, he's, you know, he's, he's upset. Steve's stupid machine has ruined the sport for me. Oh, ouch. And there's this nice sort of darkness that's engulfing him as he uh, talks to her. So a couple of weeks later, they have the, the Super Bowl in New Orleans. And Jack says to himself, I can't worry about that. I got to just get out there and play the best. And the for the next 60 minutes, the sporting world is treated to a stunning spectacle. Scoring almost at will, the Smashers totally dominate their opponents, crushing them by a humiliating score of 65 to 17. Oh my God, I'm sorry, I missed a page back here. It was one of my favorite pages too. Well, the Super Bowl commercial? <laughs> or the yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, back to third, page 13. 
So after their first triumph where, after the intensifier, where Jack is uh, shown that he's super strong, the, uh, they, they, they sort of do a nice sports montage of that whole season. So they go through, you know, I don't know how many more games that season and are just, you know, oh, he's the best. The team is the top. Everything's great. And the, the, there's a nice um, splash montage of public interest in the team, at which point they start doing music videos, charitable events, product endorsements, television commercials. And uh, the music videos, it was really the, you know, gives the game away a bit from the uh, Super Bowl shuffle. Yeah, the Super the Bowl shuffle. <laughs> 85 Chicago Bears. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry. I, I that that was a key moment in their development. So it did not last long. Getting back to the actual Super Bowl, this isn't fair. It's not a game. It's a massacre. So Jack is uh, goes back to Steve and um, in New York and uh, walks in just in time to see Steve get shot. The uh, Lone Shark is there. Maybe they didn't mean to shoot him. He grabbed my fault, my gun. It wasn't my fault. And Jack, of course, throws them around like they're, you know, paper. And uh, could have killed them, but um, he gets to Steve just er, just in time to to watch him die in his hands. So three weeks later, they. Jack is telling the rest of the team the, the whole story. And then they all try the intensifier. I don't think it really seems to do much for any of them. And it's not clear whether or not it does. Their hair Although doesn't... he said, you know, it would be over weeks or months anyway. So, but he, he, um, he says, I realize now that I blew it. Instead of using my gift for something special, I wasted it on scoring touchdowns. I'm a guy who had it all, money, fame, power. I owe something to those who don't. So the others are like, you mean some charity work? Not quite suicide. We are who we are. Anything to get involved in has to be fun and exciting. <laughs> so they decided- Boring that, helping poor people. <laughs> but it has to be a glamorous poor person. Right. And there has to be some excitement involved. Right danger um so the the they've taken over the sports plus headquarters turned it into headquarters for a new foundation that will be a charity organization helping people who have nowhere else to go so um so it's jack um his wife darlene and dasher suicide and brick wall and let's see, what does he say? We'll hire a staff to attend to the mundane matters. We'll only get involved if the case is real interesting. And uh, let's see, we close with um, trying to come up with a name. We intend to kick some serious butt. Well, you dumb kickers are going to need a lot more than the new name if you break my lamp. Hey, that's not bad. They definitely do sound like us. It just needs a little modification to Kickers Inc. Yeah. 
next month. There's a robot in my rose garden. Be here. Maybe the presidential rose garden? <laughs> so what was Kickers Inc? Kickers Inc was, yes, the 85 Chicago Bears. Um, the USFL was a year or two before that. Oh, right, yeah. Um, so it was a nice attempt at an overlap with this uh, celebrity culture, sports culture, and superheroism. Um, the previous book that it reminded me of, as I said, it's a very Kirby style all the way through. And the thing I think that it was closest to was Challengers of the Unknown. Uh-huh. They're sort of regular looking guys in the sort of jumpsuits who decided to, well, we, you know, it's like Final Destination or something. Like we, we were unlikely to survive this. So now that we have a new lease on life, let's go do something good with our, our time or something. Right. Um, I saw it a little bit like a, you know, well, I mean, when you're thinking of it in the 80s, it's like, you know, what if John Elway got turned into Captain America kind of thing? That's good. good. Captain America vibes. Um, but, uh, but I think the big difference being, you know, he's in the middle of a football career and then, you know, it is absolutely cheating, right? It's like, turn yourself <laughs> into a super soldier performance enhancement kind of thing. And he still keeps playing. He plays all the games and wins the Super Bowl. But so then he's kind of got to moralize it, you know, like, you know, he's doing it for his team and, you know, he, he, he feels bad about it. You know, it's a little bit of, you know, it's not quite as uh, sparkling as, you know, going to fight a, a just war kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. He in no way. Um, I mean, he feels bad about it as soon as he hurts the other guy, but he, although it starts to gnaw on him, it's like, yeah, it is pretty obviously like a, a huge advantage and, I mean, the guy is in pretty great shape to begin with, obviously. He's a professional athlete, so he's a, um, you know, could you have a, a group of guys with really no superpowers, but they're all professional athletes with a lot of money and just desire to, like, goof around and help random oh, people? Balls at criminals. <laughs> <laughs> That is, yeah, that's exactly what we need to have happen. Um, yeah, the, the overall, um, Tom DeFalco, as I said before, is, is the editor of the Star line of comics, which is the children's line. So he's sort of, I would say, writing down a bit to a, a, a lower age level of reader than, than most of the other line. Um, it yeah, it's not like as serious as several of the other new universe books where you, this is more like, you know, what would be on at 7 PM, um, in prime time versus like nine or 10 PM. I mean, mm. it's like just goofy fun. I don't know. I think the, uh, each of them do, does have code names, which I, I didn't maybe give. Um, Darlene becomes doll. Yeah, it was interesting that you know, you know, you kind of expect the team, but maybe not his wife to join the super team. You know, like just strap them all to the machine. 
you know, the three players and his, and his team buddies, but also his wife. Um, I mean, yeah. she seems to be in good shape. Possibly she's uh, also an athlete. We didn't really get much on, on the background of them, but uh, that's like you say, each of the other players has a personality and her personality is being his wife. Yeah. <laughs> I like when, uh, when they turn sports power plus into their uh, home base, there's a couple of panels or like looking at blueprints and stuff, but it basically looks like they move in a bunch of couches. <laughs> <laughs> And then she's getting and complaining that they're knocking over the lamp. So <laughs> got some. So yeah, she's. I mean, um, an attractive. Uh, they're all you know, good shape. Uh, I think that, like I say, the art is serviceable, but it doesn't really go beyond Kirby light. Um, yeah, a lot of blank backgrounds. Yeah, a lot of lifting boxes, like I said. <laughs> Let me show you how strong I am. And then there's a like extreme. Maybe we can keep a tally of how many boxes get lifted. Oh yeah, go back to that. Yeah. Um and I don't know, a good melodrama with the brother and the yep. dark side of sports, I guess. Once again, so I mean. Yeah. I was thinking before this was like one of these goofy teams that Kirby would do, like uh, the Green Team or something, Newsboy Legion, where it's really just, why would these people do this? <laughs> How could they do that? And, but um, there's, it's also like maybe 20 years past the point where you could realistically have a football celebrity who isn't like, you know, so so famous or you know so rich as they became by the 80s they were definitely making enough and were not you know just going to like have a superhero club with their buddies from work you know it um, strains uh, the the credibility i don't know yeah there's definitely an a team kind of vibe too but uh, that's kind of like to be determined too, because the, the team forms at the end. And we also get you know, what most new universe issue ones have had is like somebody dying too. <laughs> so like somebody's father or brother, or, you know, a lot of death. Yeah, the inciting in incident wasn't so much the white event as like someone always has to die. And then you're like, I will take on his mantle and keep going. So, they didn't really care too much that his brother died. He's like, oh, hey, now I can use this place as my base. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I don't know. It's nice to see the white event finally. Uh, we've heard so much about it. Um, so, actually, by the time we see it here, I, I looked through some other um, information, and the white event was supposed to, to have occurred um, that July and 1980 July 22 maybe okay. 1986 so when they say there's the white event in this book as we were talking before there's part of the rea the reality of um, the new universe is having a realistic timeline and things aging and moving in real time so if it the white event happens in July and we've already now gone into 
I guess January yeah, the Super Bowl. So you're going to be a little out of sync with the several of the other titles, I think, for a while there. But yeah. but Sci Force happens presumably a little bit later than the white event, you know. Yeah, maybe out and then I fall. Starbrand is the same way. So they may have still been trying to kind of coordinate the beginning of it. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell, but um, I don't know. It's 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 very light. Um, going through it, it's not bad. It's just um, like I say. It, I, I before I thought of like the new universe as several titles with you know better or worse ones, but now it looks more like this would be like the G-rated one, and some of the yeah. others would be like the PG to PG thirteen. You know what I mean? So. Are you, are, is this for like 12 year olds or 16 year olds? I don't know. So this is definitely, I, I would say the youngest skewing storyline in the new universe. Right. And I think the other one we're doing today is probably the oldest skewing. I would, yeah, the most adult. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> so I know when I say adult, I, I always think, no, it's not that adult, but no. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the the yeah, this is the biggest probably range of uh, target ages. So, so good that we're doing them together. Perfect. All right, at least on the stand at the same time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> is that good marketing, Marvel? I don't know. Well, they could be on different parts of the spinning rack. So, do you have a rating for this one? I would give it a solid C, and I'm hoping that it gets interesting. I was in my, continuing to try to be generous, so I would give it a B minus. Right. I uh, I didn't want to be uh, start off as as because I think it will get worse. <laughs> Come on, Terror um, in the Rose Garden. That's got to be interesting. That, I mean, that sounds like fun. Yeah, right. I. I Probably was looking forward to it at the time. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. See what happens. You never know. Never know. Um, All right. So shall we move on to Mark Hazard, Merck? Take it away, Andy. All right. So yeah, this this is a big tonal shift, right? Even down to the cover, uh, Mark Hazard is written in flames, and the word Merck is kind of scorched. So it's got a nice, it's got a nice little. Uh, uh, title um, and we have what is clearly Mark Hazard on the cover holding an Uzi and smoking and sweating and shooting and there's bullets flying and everything's kind of black and red and nasty looking <laughs> so, so definitely this is the war comic it's different than Kicker Sink so uh, this book unfortunately only has one title uh, bad for business <laughs> So, so we open in kind of a, a nice cliche scene, uh, Gramercy Park, a nice place to live in Manhattan. And we've got a little boy uh, stealing from one of those outdoor fruit stands where you just got to assume <laughs> the, you're getting ready for the, the owner to chase him and shake his fist and say, oh, you dang kids. Uh, but he doesn't get too far. So, so the kid grabs an apple, turns bumps into our hero, Mark Hazard, or anti-hero maybe, we'll see, 
uh, in a black and white tracksuit and kind of like a cool hat. Also, maybe a match or a cigarette in his mouth. It's hard to tell. He just thumps into him, looks up, and Merck doesn't say anything to the kid. The kid just gets the impression that he means business, puts the apple back and runs off. And, hey, mister, thanks for stopping that kid. Yeah. <laughs> and then as he walks away, we get two girls who are kind of ogling Mark Hazard and all of his grizzled good looks. Uh, and they're assuming he's probably married because all the good ones are. Uh, but yeah, the girls so, are also mentioning that there's some political unrest in the South Pacific. That's right. So, so they're, they're, that's probably not important to the story, though, right? The chances of that coming back to haunt us are infinitesimal. <laughs> no, it's a good catch. So, um, so they, they clue in that he overheard that, but he's walking back to his apartment. Uh, opens the door and you get a peek into the window of his life here. He's not one to talk a ton. So they kind of narrate his apartment. He has, you know, it's a mess. There's stuff around, booze bottles, hats, uh, guns all over the place, guns in a case, guns on a rack. Um, not just like a goon though, they're setting him up. You know, the perusal of his hundreds of volumes on war, military history and tactical strategy, right? So the good one is in fact one of the very best it's just some of the things he does are not very good right so i always love those little things but he's got all sorts of war memorabilia so they're setting him up to be you know ultimate smart combat. an extreme right winger of <laughs> possibly um yeah he's uh he's definitely got war memorabilia from uh, it's a little vague, but a lot of guns, definitely. Um, yeah, and so, walls. so so Mark is grizzled. I think is like the best word for it, right? So he's always kind of got a scowl. He's uh, got kind of short blonde hair, two scars, like one going kind of vertically from his lip, and and one sort of vertically across one of his eyes, kind of in the corner. You know, so enough to look tough, not enough to need an eye patch. Um, so, Look at with that eye thing. That is really like goes right over his eye, his left eye. So yeah, that was a close call. So as the story continues, he's, he's hanging out in his apartment. He hits his answering machine, um, you know, looking for a specific call. So he gets a call from his son who wants to uh, have him at least wish him well. It's an interesting interaction where. It sounds like the son is not expecting dad to show up, but he's just hoping for him to be thinking of him. Uh, a call from his wife, a call from some woman who he made a date with and left <laughs> stranded. Uh, and then the call that he wants is uh, the call about the next job. So the gig is on. That's the one. That's the one. All right. So we waste no time. In the next panel, he's jumping out of a helicopter. And then we get to our... Uh, our title screen, I guess. So I failed to introduce our writers in this case, but here, here they are on the page, so let's do it. Uh, you get Peter David with the story, uh, pretty accomplished Marvel writer, on long runs on Incredible Hulk and X Factor, and he'll be writing the first four issues of Merck. So well, I went on to a long established career and he did uh, actually two or three 
I think he stayed on justice to the end and maybe yeah. something. Yeah, a else. lot of books to his name. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. And then, sure. whoa, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Gray Morrow, the artist, um, is credited as co-creator for Man Thing and El Diablo of the Silver Age, perhaps. Mm. Right. He, I guess, I didn't quite remember all his his uh, history, but he definitely it's an interesting um, entry in Wikipedia, and um, I thought he was more oriented towards um, westerns and uh, war comics. I think yeah. he also did horror, but um, all of those sort of require a more realistic style, and I think uh, yeah, it looks great here. Yeah, I was impressed by the art. You know, there's a lot of good detail, a lot of kind of like dark shading, but not just, you know, pointlessly black. The faces are good. You know, all the characters look good. Uh, definitely a lot of a lot of little detail in it. Uh, so it did, did a nice job. And it seems like he's the artist for most of Merck, or at least, you know, the majority of it. So we're jumping out of the helicopter. Uh, we get introduced to his friend in mercenarydom. That's the right word, right? Uh, Mall, just M-A-L. That's all we get. And Mall is into explosives. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so now they're in fact invading that uh, South, Southeast Asian island nation that, with trouble with the rebels. And they call, they call it South Pacific again, which is kind of a, I mean... Kind of a it's like a World War II location. I don't know. Yeah. Just a generic, not a South American, but a South Pacific, I guess. I don't know. Something with some bad guys in it. Well, we'll see in a second. The the president here, I think, is a real riff on um, Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos. Oh. So that puts them in the Philippines. Um, so that the, I, I would say... In terms of looks, there's there's uh, something going on there, and they had been overthrown just a year or two before that, so it was kind of recent news. Okay, yeah, I didn't catch that. So good context. Yeah, so they're talking about a ring, and we get the idea. So it's Merck's job to uh, assassinate the president, or basically capture or assassinate the president from the rebels, and so he basically does the simplistic job of just stepping into the room and surprising them. Uh, <laughs> He's got interesting techniques. Um, I thought there would be more lead up to that, but okay. No, really, it's just, you know, one page helicopter, next page, he's outside, outside, you know, inside, right? He's, he's right there, not very far into the comic. So the, the president gives the code, let's talk, my friend, which is apparently code to his... Uh, wife, consort, woman, uh, to pull a gun and try and kill Merck, uh, but it doesn't work. So she gets shot. Uh, we get clues that the, the president's daughter is nearby, starting to hear the commotion. Um, our president is going to not go without a fight. So of course, he throws his dead wife at Merck uh, and <laughs> tries to grab a sword. <laughs> it didn't work either. Uh, so he grabs this uh, long knife, chucks it at Mark Hazard, Mark catches it out of the air and basically wings it back at him, you know, piercing through the president, through the wall and right in the face of uh, the poor guy's daughter. 
So a nice little scene. The, the president didn't last too long. So we have our death uh, in the new year universe sense. Uh, it says, uh, forget it. Like I said before, dead's easier. <laughs> yeah, grabbing the guy's uh, knife out of the air and throwing it back at him is a good move. Right. He's lucky that Merck has the no knife out of the air and throw it back at him. <laughs> Yeah, the, the 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 wife responded to a code phrase like she's a robot or something. Right, or just, you know, that was their... He, yeah, because the president then goes on to say, you know, how disappointed he was, the, like all the training he spent on her, like to get her to, you know, protect him, presumably. Was I mean, it's, it's a little confused because it's like, on the one hand, they're talking about their daughter. So it's this like, you know, real couple. But on the other hand, he's like, trained her to be like the Manchurian candidate. Yeah. You know, like when I say the code phrase, you kill everyone in the room. Anyway. So we don't feel bad about this guy dying. Yeah. We, we, we sort of move on, but like the daughter has, has already awoke and she'll be our focus for a while. Yeah, for quite a while. All right, so uh, Merck confronts the daughter, you know, with the tip of the dagger stuck sticking through the other side of the wall and some blood leaking out um, <laughs> but yeah. i just noticed his corpse hanging on the wall there and the, yeah in shadow it's, it's, it's yeah. good, good little details though right it's, it's well done you got full backgrounds uh, you know mark says cute kid too bad she's an orphan <laughs> I <love> that line <laughs> and so here's Feet soldiers must be coming. And this is kind of the wackiest scene, I think, where the soldiers confront him and he says, the president's dead, um, which is obvious because he's pinned to the door. Actually, yeah, it looks like a door. He's swinging around on the door, <laughs> pierced through the chest. Uh, and the goons, uh, the underlings of the president, then decide they're going to fight over who's the new president. And just instead of stopping Merck, they just start shooting each other conveniently. <laughs> so you know weird country and judging from the noise outside word has spread and elections in quotes are being held so you get a lot of no me i'm president i'm in charge so apparently the whole army is just shooting at each other at this point <laughs> uh, last dissolves immediately to chaos yeah yes um so at this point you know merc is happy for the distraction the, the soldiers are killing each other. The daughter is starting to realize how traumatized she is. Papa, mama, please help me. The shooting had stopped. Um, and then when the last five soldiers declare they're the new coalition government, you get a nice kaboom and Maul has blown them all up and is laughing <laughs> at them. The government soldiers are so bloody stupid. They were dancing on my charges. <laughs> so it's, it's a weird scene at the end there. Uh, but ultimately, that that's it for the government. Um, and we cut to this to yeah. the next with the uh, the rebel who hired them. Moving right along, we are lots of action to start. So, you know, we get to know the rebel leader. He doesn't look very pleasant either. You know, he's got a sinister-looking mustache and a beret, and you know. He's, he's, sitting in the president's desk perhaps and you know looking at the ring that they were talking about having stolen from the rebels and now it's back with him um, but yeah we don't don't get in, we don't become too impressed with him he's like he's like eh, maybe we'll hold elections once things are stabilized or you know my people are too stupid to manage themselves and yeah so 
Merck is starting to feel like he just swapped dictators, but he's ready to just get the heck out of there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not an advancement, but, it, you know, it's, it's you also get a sense of, you know, these people aren't that great either, so right. it's not a real loss. So, um, yeah, he's just, okay, all right, let's just get it. Yeah, get my payment and get out of it. Bottom of page nine, I do really like the derpy looking soldier in there. Maybe just a little heart <laughs> error, but he looks kind of cross-eyed with a, with a gap tooth. Uh, <laughs> but gap tooth kick. That's uh, yeah, pretty much. Every country has them, I guess. I guess. But gap tooth is the giveaway, I suppose. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so him and another goon are flipping a coin to see who gets to uh, uh, have unfriendly relations with the captured daughter. Um, and as our tough, good guy with some sort of moral code, yeah, you got to just assume he's not going to stand for that. So, so him and Maul threaten the two hapless goons um, and you know, say, no, this, that's on us. So they, they go into the room. The daughter's, of course, none too pleased to be found by, even rescued by the guys who just murdered her parents. Um, so, yeah. That's a nice bit, though. That she's not just like saying, "Oh, yay, thank you, you rescued me." <laughs> they have to tie her up and haul her and carry her around. Um, you know, she's she's not going without a struggle. Yeah, she uh, she does not uh, settle down at any point after this. No, she's unhappy. Also, as opposite of Kicker's Inc., you know drawn in really risque poses and clothing uh, with not a lot going on as she's running through she's in yeah this this lingerie she she was introduced in she's stays in throughout the issue um it's good figure work it's uh, it's a little risque but i mean it's not uh, over the top and all the figures are pretty realistic so it's yeah. not uh, not the Maybe. weird superheroes with body paint kind of thing. It does look like real people. Um, yeah, our Merck and Maul are now escaping. Merck has, or Mark Hazard and Merck has decided to, uh, you know, rescue the girl, even though she doesn't want him to. You know, we learned that Maul is from New Zealand, so we get a little bit from him. And, uh, you know, he's also pretty frustrated with his boss slash buddy because uh, they didn't get paid for this job now because now they're fighting the rebels and fleeing from them right, so we flip uh, Maul is working on traps uh, has kind of a neat little rigged up device with a shotgun cell shell with a nail that kind of acts like a landmine and uh, when they step on it you know in a you know, amazing bit of luck I suppose um, you know, ends up blasting a lot of the pursuers so, yeah, I think these are a lot of, uh, before we had IEDs from in the Middle East, we had all these sort of things in uh, Vietnam with the uh, punji sticks or the yeah. sharpened sticks at the bottom of a pit, I remember. Yep. Did you know that or did you have to look that up too? I knew that, yeah. although it may have also been in World War II Japanese, now that I think about it, but um, that's, that's the... Um, yeah, I remember the name from wherever it is. Okay. Yeah, I looked that one up. I was curious. But yeah, a lot of those little details that, you know, they're not just running and magically exploding or like lobbing grenades around. So, 
Uh, I thought that was kind of nice. But yeah, that's basically the classic pit trap of dig a hole, cover it, and put little wooden spikes on the bottom. So uh, not guys to mess with. So, so as we escape, and Mark Hazo is trying to convince uh, the daughter, who I don't think we ever get her name, um, that Maria. Oh, is it? Okay, thank you. Uh, trying to in the beginning. That we need to, that she should go with them. And that's, that's her safest bet. Uh, and then we start to get flashbacks of Mark Hazard uh, and his parents, right? <laughs> they are, they, they like, are not much nicer than Mark. No. He goes, so Mark says, I feel sorry for you. Your parents must have kept you under lock and key. And she says, and yours must have kept you under a rock, right? So that's our transition to the flashback scene where his, his dad's being <laughs> a jerk and he's mad because uh, Mark Hazard has decided to leave West Point and not try and be high up in the army or an officer. And he wants to go enlist and just fight in Vietnam. Um, they kept him under a rock. The rock was called their expectations of him. Yes. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Yeah, West Point family, military tradition, blah, blah, blah. But instead, Mark's got other plans. Nope. Yep. He just wants to be constantly battling, right? So it's actually kind of a call back to the beginning where he's ignoring his family and his dating life and, you know, or his former family and, and his dating life. And what the he really wants to hear from is uh, the next job. So, so yeah, so... We're still in pursuit though, right? So at this point, you know, they're trying to escape. We get introduced to uh, Treetop, which is the pilot of the group. So um, I guess somebody had to have been flying the helicopter that they jumped out of in the beginning of the mission and that's Treetop. So he's hanging out, uh, perhaps surprised when a classic World War II looking Jeep filled with rebels with rocket launchers starts streaking towards them. Um, but yeah, he doesn't hear, they don't have my um, communications devices, I guess. Cause yeah, this is the first he's heard of, you know, that there's a problem is these guys in a Jeep shooting at him. I like the He's thing, got pretty good reflexes, I guess. Yeah. I like to think that they did have communications devices. They just didn't bother to tell treetop. <laughs> like, eh, he'll be all right. <laughs> eh, you know, it's the same as ever. Yeah, so yeah, and it is kind of that. It's, oh, geez, what, what's Mark gotten into this time? Better nail the guy with the rocket launcher first, right? So it's pretty casual. <laughs> he does. Um, a nice other bit of sort of action realism. They shoot the gas tank. The gas tank doesn't explode, but just leaks. And then he hits it with a flare gun, right? Which would actually ignite the fuel. Probably still wouldn't explode. It probably would just light on fire. Uh, it's a little better so i appreciate a little it. better i guess that's that's mal is coming yeah so, the, so he was too late to to get there before the soldiers but they're they're all getting together now yeah so everyone's converging the, the rebels are coming to the helicopter site uh mark hazard and mal have made it back with the girl maria uh she's of course totally freaked out and um, get a little bit more flashback. So, so we get our first Vietnam flashback uh, from Mark Hazard here. And, uh, this is, I'm not like you. I'm not a warmongering American. And he says, see, kid, you don't know what you're missing. So a lot of good li one-liners of Mark Hazard, I think. So a 
A barrage of images flashed through his mind. He's up to his knees in, in mud, slogging through his three tours of Vietnam. Right, so he just kept going back. He can't get enough of the action. Um, you know, she says, "Why are you doing this to me? Especially when I would kill you." And he figures she's his responsibility. Um, another flashback to Mark and his mother, who's now older. Uh, he's got some of his scars now. Uh, and uh, father's dead. She said, tell Mark to follow in, his, in my footsteps. Tell him to be a good soldier. <laughs> he says, it's a shame I wasn't there because I would have said when he had that heart attack, dad, the soldier's cutting himself new orders. You can't so this is after three tours of Vietnam. I, I don't know. Is a tour two years or four years? I don't know. It would have been a good bit of research to have. But yeah. So here's one more order. Get out of my house, you ungrateful snot. <laughs> <laughs> the meanest mother I may have seen in any comic book, to be honest. Yeah. So, so at this point in the action scene, there's been a lot of shooting. Uh, the rebels are in between Mark and Maria and the helicopter. You know, things are getting kind of tense. There's only so many rocket launchers that the helicopter can just dodge, uh, even with our ace pilot treetop. Um, so, so the helicopter is up in the air. Yep. The guys, they're shooting at it. So, yep. So, explosions, bullets. Maria breaks away. You know, so she's had it. She's tired of being carried around. You know, uh, his team's had it. They're they're tired of him. Uh, you know, holding out, trying to uh, trying to save this girl that doesn't want to be saved. It's slowing them down. It's putting them at risk. You know, they're covering his ass. You know, over and over again. Uh, I don't want to get blown up. It's too bloody ironic. So it's not <laughs> all our explosion. Mal's got a lot of good lines. I gotta say. Yeah, yeah, he's a good character kind of a classic bearded guy with a headband uh, who likes exploding things. <laughs> so we can't for wait you to, we can't wait for you to drag her here. We'll be shot down. And you know, so then yeah, she finally kind of gives up, lets her go, hops on the helicopter. You know, she's running away, but he still kind of wants to save her, but she gets gunned down by the rebels who really have no interest in, in rescuing her themselves. So yeah, enough. that was uh it was a little darker turn there than I expected, even when I first read this. It's like, yeah, yikes. I mean, well, let's just keep going. Yeah. So, uh, after a few parting shots, you know, the helicopter mows down a few more rebels. Um, our uh, our heroes escape. You know, they don't rescue the girl, so she's not saved. You know, so we're we are saved from that cliche, I guess. Uh, and a lot of people are dead, and nobody in particular is happy. <laughs> and I don't think he got paid either. Yeah, nobody got paid, so they're mad at Mark Hazard for that. Maul, Maul is threatening uh, to go. Uh, they mentioned that the ne their next job they're supposed to go straight to was in Libya. Um, but Mark Hazard, you know, perhaps... Uh, having experienced some time with someone's kid, uh, decides he does in fact want to go to that baseball game for his son. <laughs> so that, that kind of surprises everyone. And it sounds like Maul is, is ready to quit. Uh, he's unhappy. You know, our employers will get somebody else. Blast it, Mark. You're taking money out of our pockets. And he's like, it's too bad. You know, but you know, 
they're all frustrated. They're not sure if the team is going to stay together or not. Uh, Treetop doesn't care as much. He seems to be willing to just kind of roll with the punches, even though he admits that uh, uh, Mark Hazard is bad for business. Right. So we get a lot of conversation as they're heading out in the helicopter. Uh, I mean, so uh, by the way, the, the helicopter I, I when I thought about it is actually a little strange in the sense that I don't think you can go from you know across countries like you couldn't go from outside the Philippines into the Philippines with right. just one helicopter. So, so well, there's some sort of employer, right? So whether that's the you know, shadow ops from the government, you know, so he may have been like flown to a site somewhere nearby and provided with a helicopter. Uh, we don't really know. So yeah, at this point, we don't know what his backing is or exactly uh, just that he's a you know mercenary for hire, uh, whether that's only from the United States or, well, well, clearly not in this case because he's being, been hired by rebels to off somebody. But, but yeah, we don't quite know what his backing is or you know how people get into in touch with him to hire him. Yeah, I think, yeah. So, so Treetop seems to be the, the also setting up the deals. So he says, um, I just answer the phone. So oh, okay. maybe, um, well, maybe he also gets called from the, the guy who sets it up. I, okay, we'll just, yeah, we'll see. We'll figure out the details of how, how it works later. Right. Or issue two, he opens up a bakery. We don't know. <laughs> right. So well, the next day, so we're, we're nearing the end of the story. And so we cut to uh, what we find out is uh, Mark Hazard's uh, former wife and his son. Uh, so uh, we're in the living room of their home. She's knitting. Kid answers the phone, and he's really surprised uh, to learn that his dad actually called him. So the kid's kid's a little uh, lacking in the love department, uh, and uh, sounds like he hasn't talked to him in a whole in a long time. Uh, but he gives him the details of the baseball game, and it sounds like he's coming. And of course the the kid's excited so isn't that great uh, and the wife kind of pretends to be happy and like oh, that's great scott and i wasn't sure you... i wasn't sure i wasn't sure there when you said you knew he wouldn't right so of course nobody was expecting to show up it's a big surprise um and then um yeah good move mark i'm happily remarried for two years now scott was finally beginning to accept my new husband uh as a positive role model, right? So it's kind of, he's coming back into the scene, you know, maybe driving a wedge between the old, the son and the new husband. Uh, so she says, you picked a real rotten time to stop disappointing people. <laughs> and that's sort of where we end. And it's just end. Yeah, no clues of the next, no title, no battle in the Rose Garden, no next mission. Uh, maybe- 22 pages? Game. Yeah. Yeah, Ugh. that was a very different story in tone. There was a lot of action. Uh, it was really action the whole way through, uh, with it, to the point where they would squeeze in family flashbacks and character building kind of as, as they went. Uh, a few panels and a page here and there. Um, but yeah, it, it was a pretty fun ride. Um, I'm, I'm exhausted just going <laughs> through it. Yeah, there's a lot Ooh. there. It's, hard, it's almost hard to detail. Uh, 
because while there's a lot of action scenes and there's also a lot of conversation during the action scenes and a lot, a lot of setup too. But we got to know our characters. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if these are recurring uh, mercenary buddies or if they kind of go sour and, and, and we get new characters. Uh, and of course, it's kind of set up in the end for issue two to find out what happens with the wife and kid. Yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. It's uh, you know, it, there was a lot of little war details. You know, the art was good. There's a little bit of slapstick in there almost with the guy, with the government officials fighting over who was going to be the next president, or basically the soldiers oh, shooting. Yeah, yeah. For, for little Keystone cops kind of stuff. No particularly great reason. <laughs> yeah, the um. Well, I'm going to start over again. Yeah. So Gramercy Park, this neighborhood in Manhattan, I had to like double check that. I, I thought like sort of more like a Brooklyn kind of place, but it's it's this very nice, you know, um, residential area that's kind of um, in lower Manhattan, um, sort of like where NYU is towards the village, but it's, okay. um, I'm sure like, even then, it was probably expensive. Um, I, I assume now it would be astronomical. Um, yeah, we probably wouldn't see Mark Hazard at the New York Smashers game, but maybe his wife and kid and the new husband could have been at the New York Smashers game. There you go. That would have been a good plan. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Mar early Marvel was all centered in New York City. And the new universe was really a chance to kind of get outside that. I think several of the books took that, um, but yeah, the uh, having two or three still in the New York area, but not ever running into each other mm -hmm. right. again missed opportunity. Although, as you can see, the the tonal shift would be so much that yeah, it would, yeah, I mean, really, it's like, you know, the Saturday morning, you know, Mr. T comic uh, or cartoon <laughs> compared to like Rambo, you know, yeah. more um, like the first Rambo movie where it's still a little more serious, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah he, he take, definitely takes that sort of, um, I don't know, that, that Stallone, Schwarzenegger kind of role of the um, very beefed up, very action-oriented um, military type guy. Yeah, um, they definitely set him up, you know, to be a little different, you know, kind of highlighting, you know, he's well-read in the art of military everything kind of deal. You know, so there's a little bit more of like a smarter, cultured, you know, wealthy family. You know, he's not just kind of like a ruffian, but obviously has some kind of unnatural taste for all things combat he just only wants to fight right yeah it's uh i mean there's been a is it, i don't know the punisher there's been a few things that are close to this yeah. but i the one i mean sometimes they're like um the immortal soldier or something like a guy who can't die and so he becomes this like god of war who's always looking for a new fight for some reason right um yeah it's not quite haunted tank <laughs> nice so let's see he uh i mean i i should i thought about going back and doing a body count on this one. Oh yeah 
It's, uh, I mean, it's we, should, up there uh, with, uh, we should go back and do that, and then we'll we'll re we'll start the number the next time we cover an issue. <laughs> That's a great. This, this may be, yeah. I mean, all the books had a person die, but it was. Do we count all deaths or all deaths uh, from Merck? Yeah, the. Um, might be hard to figure out who he's killed in every time, so maybe just all deaths. Yeah, let's go with all deaths. You'll you'll quick. It'll be up there. Yes. Um, <laughs> the the Mal probably Malcolm is. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, I wasn't sure I, on that one. I have a. Um, I I still don't like you know hear like a New Zealand accent. I mean they don't no. sort of make it sound any look any different, but. Um, yeah, it's a it's yeah. Good. And so we learned that from a fun scene where, you know, he's talking to the the rescued daughter Maria, and it's like, "How many Americans have you met?" She's like, "Well, two. And he's like, "Well, Mal's New Zealand, <laughs> right? He's from New Zealand." It's like, okay, one. <laughs> there's a there's good um, sort of dialogue with the like the the daughter. You can almost believe is like a high school college age, like you know liberal you know right american at the time of like well all this warmongering americans here we go oh are you <laughs> gonna kill us like too and subjugate the third world and uh oh, you know wait you know so it's an interesting like post vietnam kind of attitude you haven't seen for a while um after i mean yeah after that it was like quite a, there's a long dry spell of not um no like full military action and we were kind of had this cloud of losing over yeah. our heads so yeah a lot of the action movies in the 80s it was kind of split between like you know run and gun goofy you know like unrealistic guy against the world kind of stuff and then like the ones that you know maybe tried to take the war vietnam war a little more seriously and kind of you know show the horrible effects on the uh, they have the soldiers and some of the things they had to go through kind of thing. Uh, not quite to full metal jacket level things later on, but you know, I think there's, there's sort of a good combination of pieces there. The, the one thing I thought was interesting, and it's not quite of the comic itself, but in the two bullpen bulletins where they have the descriptions of the different new universe titles, um, in Night Mask, they say um, that... Uh, our night maths, uh, Keith Remsen and his sister Teddy, together they run a unique psychoanalytical consulting service. Right, so we didn't get that in the first issue, but so they're kind of given a clue to uh, what the story might be about, unless they got that wrong and then they just totally forget that idea. <laughs> I think uh, it may be uh, a couple of inconsistencies in here, like the Max Armor had a like the wrong name or something when they talked about right. Star, uh, Star MACS versus MAX and things, yeah, something like that. Yeah, but um, yeah, the, the, I, when they told them uh, you're gonna have to get a job and do something with this power, I, I guess that's what the, the, the initial plan was. We'll see how long they stick with that, yeah, yeah. I think, um, and, and Merck in general, just you know, compared to everything else, didn't really feel like a new universe title. Like it could be any, anything. It's just kind of a, a, 
a good war book, um, which put me off at first, but then I kind of appreciated that. It's, you know, because again, they're going for this sort of realistic world. You know, not every uh, book has to have something to do with the white event, and you know, Merck didn't have to have supernatural powers given to him, or you know, as part of the conflict. They just like, hey, let's make a war book, and all right, they did it. <laughs> Yeah, I really appreciate genre diversity. I mean, I always uh, kind of wished we had more, yeah, a war book, a Western book, a, I don't know, a, a humor or romance, something. Yeah, mystery kind of. Yeah, crime became a, a thing a while ago. So that, that actually did go, you know, take off. Um, people do, were doing more, more of that. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, uh, it could be in any comic book universe, just sort of around the corner. Could be in yeah. our universe. It's, it's very um, more slice of life, I guess, than any of the other books. Right. I think, like in one of the um, shooters' um, editorials, you were saying something about like the design of the new universe. Well, we want to be more realistic, um, but we still want superheroes. We're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. So, you're sort of walking a line here between, okay, people have powers, but the costumes aren't really that realistic unless everyone else is already doing it. You know, you probably wouldn't think, oh, I'll throw this on and right. run around the neighborhood. And, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so what yeah, would you are you? The sort of downer ending of, of uh, particularly killing the girl, I mean, if you had literally killed every soldier on that island and taken the girl out, you'd think, well, happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> Only one life has value. <laughs> Terrible. But, um, you know, she's, uh, she goes down as she, she died as she lived, yelling well, about how she hates Americans. <laughs> <laughs> she was the only one on that island that we saw that wasn't trying to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you know, the, like I said, the the figure work, everyone is is you know realistically proportioned um, and looks appropriately masculine or feminine and all this sort of thing. So, yep. um, and you get a good uh, sort of introduction to this character. Um, yes, so this issue has me looking forward to reading more issues. It's a uh, it's a good grabber. I'm kind of already thinking, uh, let's not spend too much time on the family because I know, yeah. He, I think in the, this uh, bulletin, it's like it cost him his wife, his son, his parents. Yeah. Other Mercs are Mark's only family now. So you're like, oh, is he going to spend like, uh, you know, half his time trying to prove himself to his son? Right. You know, misadventures while he's doing babysitting. You're like, can you just watch the kid? And it's like, but I got all my guns. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, overall, this is perhaps uh, my favorite of the. Good. I mean, perhaps. I mean, I'm not saying war is really my favorite comic book genre, but it it's done so rarely now that that. Um, I really appreciate a, a solid effort in that direction. So. All right. Well, so for me, I don't know, like A minus. 
I was thinking A minus as well. I, I think that's the same score I gave Starbrand, which was my favorite heading into it. It's comparable. Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, I mean, if you were to like launch, well, it, we, we've got a couple of good ones next week, but. Absolutely. So uh, let me see. Yeah, there was, uh, I think the early 80s, um, war comics had like really gone down to like Sergeant Rock at DC and maybe GI Joe would be covered by that. At yeah. And uh, GI Joe's, I don't know if that's even a war comic. It's yeah. As it's soldiers. Gray zone. Yeah. But yeah. where you've got a fan, you know, enough fantastic elements that it fits more into this, um, Marvel universe, even if it's sort of off on its own. Yeah, the um, rebels. If the rebels were wearing blue and driving a snake-themed tank, then <laughs> the um, I think Marvel. I, I forget if they had been publishing the Nom, the comic book, by then. I but they think were that came later, but I might be wrong. Yeah, it's in the list. I'll have to double check. I don't see it in two seconds. Here. Doesn't um, look like it. No. So, I mean, I think that was early '90s. Maybe. Maybe late, later '80s or early '90s. Yeah, maybe earlier '80s then. Um, sort of remember it. No, they were ten issues into Muppet Babies at the time. Yes. <laughs> So you see how many comics Marvel was putting out at this time. It's quite yeah. impressive. And they didn't Even shorten it. Epic, half a dozen in each of those. Uh, Epic had half a dozen where Archie Goodwin was uh, editing. And uh, ditto for uh, Star Comics, the juvenile line with um, Ewoks, and Heathcliff, and Muppet Babies. You can see the the problem there. Yeah, a lot of books. Yeah, I mean, uh, I tried dividing these up at one point into. I mean, Transformers is in the main line, but that was would have been on its own universe as well. You could you could take out like a number of things that were licensed. Conan maybe had about four or five titles all by himself. Yeah, though to be fair, even like Spider Man shows up in Transformers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought Transformers and GI Joe would have been sort of their own individual universes. That would make more sense, probably. <laughs> well, they just really wanted to have Spider-Man in it. Let's see. Uh, hmm. So, any other comments before we go? Well, well, what do we got next? Next, we have Justice and DP7. And that's our ending, our last of the issue ones, right? Yeah, that'll wrap up the uh, first month of the new universe. Um, so uh, looking forward to those. I liked both of those uh, series. So although I didn't get DP7 in when it started, so... 
I sort of rolled into it uh, after half the issue, half, half the series got canceled. Ah, okay. <laughs> As well, so I recall. Far, so far, so good. I've been enjoying the new universe. Good. I think I've, I've been having more fun than I expected, honestly. So, yeah. <laughs> I like that uh, style of the time, I guess. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll wrap this one up for today.